0: yeah so today we're going to be looking at Luke 22 we are going to be unpacking or well, Josh I should say is going to be unpacking the garden of Gethsemane the betrayal of Jesus and his arrest um, he's going to be going through that and kind of unpacking that for us today but before we get going the discussion questions so I want you guys to have a think and to think about what is something that you hope that you never have to do in your life.
1: I think like go against like someone I love like my sister like you know when like someone does a crime and you have to like testify about someone I'd never have to like I'd never want to like get my sister in trouble and like I know so many people have to do that to like some of their family members sometimes like I could never do that because I'd just feel so bad I just feel like such a snake but like, you know in class when like someone does something the teacher's like who did it I'm just like I'm not dobbing anyone in <laughs> it's kind of similar but like i never want to have to like part ways with someone that i love or care about but obviously it's part of life like people go their different ways So yeah.
0: cool okay so now i'm gonna go back to you sophie and becca because you're gonna uh, give me two things if someone told you that you had to do those things if someone told you that you had to um, you know part away with someone or that you had to kind of um, you know testify against your sister if someone told you that you absolutely had to do that and there was um, there was like a command how would that make you feel in like the lead up to it what kind of emotions will be going through your head?
1: I'm an emotional person so like I'd be a mess not gonna lie being honest like <laughs> <I'll> just- <laughs> it would not be a pretty sight but Obviously, if I had to do it, then I'd do it. But, yeah, it it would not be a good time. I think I'd just feel really guilty. Like, even if it was the right thing to do, you'd still feel like that kind of guilt that, like, you just don't feel like it's the right thing to do. But, yeah, I'd be crying a lot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I get you. So the reason behind kind of asking that question, what is something that you, you hope that you never have to do, is because this is exactly what we see here um, with Jesus. Um, you know, we see that he's going through all these kind of intense emotions that you guys described, you know, he's, he's weeping, he's kind of almost looking for, see if there is any other way to do it. Like he's, he's totally distraught because he knows what it's going to cost him, kind of the pain that it's going to bring upon him. We can see that despite all of that, despite that whole combination of emotions that's going on, he still went through with it yeah that's something that's often kind of missed with easter because you know if you've kind of been going to church your life going to sunday school all your life like the easter story it becomes almost repetitive it becomes you know year in year out kind of like the christmas story you've memorized it, you can just reel it off and i feel like it's it almost loses its meaning and that's why it's so important to like slow down and actually stop and think actually yeah you know look at jesus's humanity that he's showing it. Look at the look at the human emotions that he's feeling as he is knelt down, sweating blood. It is that that kind of intense emotion um that, that you guys were describing there. Um yeah. And pretty much I was going to talk to you a little bit about just the kind of historical setting of it. So Josh is going to touch on this a little bit, but obviously it's set in the garden of gethsemane so gethsemane actually means oil press and it was kind of a a walled uh, orchard or field so kind of like a big walled garden basically that was relatively close near to jerusalem so it was kind of like between jerusalem and bethany but closer to jerusalem and it was on it was on this kind of side of a mountain and it was actually really close by to where jesus had been sleeping Um, because obviously he wasn't able to sleep in the city. He had to sleep out of the city because he didn't want to be found by the religious leaders. But we don't really know exactly 100% where it is because all the trees of the area were cut down for timber in AD 70 when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Yeah, so we're not like 100% sure of where it was, but we know it was kind of close by. And it's become very symbolic for, you know, the, the place where we see Jesus show the most human emotions, the place where we can actually... Realise that when we're feeling those things, that Jesus felt them too. That Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be human. That he humbled himself not just to feeling those emotions, but that he humbled himself to the point of death. That's what this is all ultimately pointing to. It's kind of we're just slowly seeing this build up up to the climax that is seen at the crucifixion and the resurrection. We've got the Palm Sunday, then we've got him teaching in the temple courts. You know, he's turning over tables, calling out the religious leaders. Then we've got the Passover where Jesus is like, look, all this 2,300, 2,400 years of tradition since the Exodus, it's all going to stop because of what he's about to do the next day. So, yeah, that's actually what I'm going to talk about. I'm just going to hand straight over to Josh, um, who's going to walk us through the passage for this evening.
2: Before I start, is there anybody who would like to read the passage for us? Luke 22, 39 to 53?
1: I don't mind. Uh, Jesus prays on the Mount of Olives. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away, about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At least he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give into temptation. Jesus is betrayed and arrested. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary? He asked that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns.
2: Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Um. So the Mount of Olives, this is the first little section that we're going to go through. Um, And also for any olive lovers, put this on your favorite travel destinations. See, this is specified in Matthew 26 verses 36 to 46. As Gethsemane, this is the garden where it all goes down. In verse 40, where it says, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Prayer is such a fundamental aspect of the way we live prayer is such a fundamental calling for our lives prayer is not just a tactic but it should be a lifestyle it should be something that we don't just do when we feel like it should just be a natural response to any given situation that we find in whether we're praising whether we're asking whether we are repenting and whether we are focusing on god or whether we're focusing on life or whether we're focusing on others it should be our given response in any time or situation. It's a 24 7 instant call line. It's like 999, but you don't have to wait for them to pick up because God is always there at that end of the line, ready to listen to us, ready to hear us. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Like prayer isn't just something that should be a best given scenario, best given situation for us. Prayer should be when we are at the lowest of low, when we feel like nothing else, prayer should be a response. Prayer shouldn't feel like a chore. And even if it does, prayer works. We see time after time, praying earnestly to God gets responses, whether it be a not right now, a maybe or a yes. God is always listening, always at the end of that phone line, always ready to have that conversation with us. See, Our religion, I don't like using the word religion because the whole focus of it is a relationship. It's that relationship between us and God in heaven and Jesus and all of that good stuff. See, it's our conversation with God. To build a relationship, you need to have a conversation with somebody. If I just turned up here without talking to Ben about anything that we were going to say here tonight, it would go absolutely terribly. He would have no clue what I'm about to say and I could just be talking about basketball for the next half an hour. But because we have that, we have that understanding. Because we have talked about things like this, we've talked about what we speak about. We build that relationship. We get into the position where it becomes a second nature for me to for me to send him my notes on what I'm talking about, and for him to tell me, "Yeah, that all sucks. You need to change it all to this." He doesn't always do that; just ninety nine percent of the time. Um, but like, it's just it should be where we go, even if we're feeling bad even if we're feeling like, you know what, there's no point in this. Prayer works. Prayer is not just a situation where we end up in and we think, oh, I'm just praying now. That's the power of prayer. We see this so many times. The power of prayer is what brings so much. Elisha is on Mount Carmel and he produces this massive trench of, full of water He throws water all over the bulls, which is the sacrifice that he's making, like three big jars or something. But they throw the water all over it. And then Elisha prays a simple prayer and God's fire comes down from heaven, licks up all the water and that's it. That's the power of prayer. Prayer has the ability to make that connection and God to intercede prayer brings our issues to God when we're struggling when we lament when we ask when we give when we just praise all of that is just building that relationship so that when you are in a time where you don't feel like praying praying still happens like I said uh, from 1 Thessalonians 5 17 probably my favorite memory verse in the bible is just pray continually Like, even if it happens to be, if you want to pray the shortest prayer in the morning, just be like, dear Lord, please just be with me today. But then you leave it there. You leave it open ended. Like, I find that when I leave my prayers open ended in the morning, it just it sits in the back of your mind that you still not close this prayer. So that everything that you do throughout the day, everything you say, every every step you take is a continued prayer to God. A continued step continues like reaching out to God, even if it's just saying something to somebody in real life, you still in you still got God in that conversation. See, 1 John 5 14 says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 24 7 helpline always heard, every situation, highs, and lows of life. God always listens. God's always going to be there for us. God's never going to let us down. He might say no. He might say not yet. He might even say maybe. Like praying according to God's will, which is what we see here in with Jesus. Like this prayer to stick away from temptation. God will always hear us. Temptation is a really sticky area when we talk about prayer and things because it is our own broken human nature that causes us to fall into temptation to cause us to fall into sin but Jesus because he was 100% man 100% God 100% of the time because he had that 100% man 100% God and 100% of the time he was able to pray into that he was able to bring God's power into the situation when he goes out into the wilderness to be tempted he just quotes back from Deuteronomy man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God Like the devil in that situation is saying, if you are the son of God, he is tempting Jesus by saying, I don't believe you're as powerful as you are. And Jesus is just like, bro, do to honour we may. It's like he has this situation, he brings God into it. He knows that our own human hearts are what cause us to stumble, cause us to falter. God's always going to listen. So when we cry out to him in a situation where we're just like, please help he's there for us, he's listening, he is ready to jump, he's ready to come and intervene for us, come to be a part of our lives, come to be a part of that relationship. No matter how deep we hide things, no matter how much we bury it so there's no sun that can get to it, God still sees it, God was there when you experienced it, God was there when you understood it, God was there when you hid it, God saw it all, God knows it all, God understands it all, God felt it all and he's just waiting for you to invite him into it when you invite him into it you are declaring that it no longer has power over your life that's the power temptation has that power of you it tells you that this thing is so great only for you to realize it's not and then you to fall a victim to shame to push it down to take it completely away to hide it so deep within you that even you sometimes forget about it and then god's just waiting for you to be like dude i messed up and when you bring it to him whatever it may be it might be a porn addiction it could be the fact that you spend so much time on social media and like this passage shows us so much of jesus's humanity he valued his life. he valued his life because the rest of us do i don't know about you but every second that i spend in this world i'm, I'm constantly in awe i might not always show it but there's a, there's always something deep within me that's like i am living living breathing like there's always something within me that's just feeling like there's something going on here that's so much bigger than me and i'm just constantly i try to always try and show that through my excitedness jesus there is experiencing grief he's experienced agony that causes him to sweat blood i've never been in that situation myself but it probably hurts and the grief of his own death this period of pain in his life that is later called the passion is representing so much of who he was. The fact that he says, take this cup from me. But before that, he says, if you are willing, even when he had that complete human reaction of being, take this pain away, put me in a better position, put me in a life where I comfort. He always adds the prefix of, If it is your plan, he's always focusing on the fact that God is at the center of it all. God's plan is the thing that he is here to do, he's here to live out. Like the pain he experiences is because God has to turn his eyes away. A man who is completely perfect in everything that he is, living the perfect life to die the perfect death, completely sinless, completely think people can condemn him for. God has to turn his eyes away to let this happen, to be allowed to turn away whilst his son gets handed over to the people who eventually kill him. We've established so many times that Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. And this is the thing, if he could live that perfect life and die the perfect death, it meant that in this whole situation, Jesus being that perfect sacrifice isn't fulfilled. If that doesn't happen, then the price of our life isn't paid. We are still on the shop floor. We are still there with our price tag on us. Jesus has paid our debt. He's taken our sin, our shame on the cross. All of that happened. We see all the way in Leviticus, like, me and ben were talking a few weeks ago like the first six chapters is just explaining all the different sacrifices you have to make the whole of leviticus is describing sacrifices if we part of it is if you do this you have to do this and then if you do this you have to do this we don't live in a life where we turn around and i'm thinking hmm, where am i going to find my next couple of oxen to go and take and sacrifice for the fact that you know what i might have had a drink the other day or something Or along those lines, like we don't live in a life where this is the case anymore. We live in a life where Jesus paid that debt. Jesus paid those sacrifices. Jesus has paid everything on the cross, putting us in a situation where we are free. We are no longer slaves to sin. Without Jesus, without his sacrifice, we're still living in a world where we're unforgiven, where we are slaves to death. We're still living in a world where all the pain we experience, that's just us. But Jesus went through that time. Jesus experienced all of our pain so that he can also relate to us. The things that we're going through, we know that Jesus has gone through as well because he's experienced it all. What we see here is the pain, the true humanity of it. Like my youth leader always says to me, our greatest apologetic, which is showing our faith is suffering with hope, going through that pain, that humanity, that nature that is within us with that hope that, you know what, there's, there's a b- brighter day coming. And it's so crazy that the agony that he went through, everything that he experienced, all of the power that, he could have held that he could have wielded that he could have probably just got rid of all of them with just one prayer just prayed and all the fire of heaven would have fallen he went through with it he experienced that agony he experienced the humanity that we have to face not just of my pain but of soph's pain but of isaac's pain but of naomi's pain but of lottie's pain jonathan arthur rebecca alex ben elisha naomi elliot maria paul Catherine. Uh, isla rosie and hannah every and so many more there's so many more he took all of our pain and he put it on himself we sit there and we're like this is my fault this is my fault i've done this to myself i deserve this but jesus is just like just give it to me just open up just bring it here and allow it to be put on to me i'm doing this for you even in the moments where we were riding the highs or the lows of life, Jesus is still there like, I'm taking all your pain on the cross. Arms wide, with the, with the scars on the hands and the legs to prove it. The tomb was empty. Three days, the tomb's empty. That sin is gone, it's died, it is in the grave. We know that when they poke the stick into Jesus' side, and the water are now rather than blood. Three days later, this guy's just holding up his hands like, there's scars here, boys, you got this. Like, there's so much of it that is shown through the immense power that that God is showing us here. Like, if it were you and I there praying in Gethsemane, I would have probably started running as hard as I could just in the opposite direction. We see Jonah does this when he is called by God, gets on a boat, sails out as far as he can go the other way, then God's like, "There's a whale here just just to help you get back, and he puts him back on his course. God's will will always play out. Imagine like reading this passage, but we don't know what comes after. We are seeing the one and only Son of God in pain that we've never seen him in before. it's a completely new thing and God had to turn his eyes away. The pain experienced here, greater than anything else we see throughout the Bible. God's having to turn away. John 1, verse 1, um, he was with him in the beginning. Jesus was there in the beginning. God has to turn away from the person who he has seen, who he has been with since way before Adam and Eve, since way before Abraham, since way before Isaac, since way before Elijah. Daniel, Elisha, as so many others as well. Like Jesus was the Son of God, heir to all his glory, taking on the sin of so many, which is completely undeserved because he hasn't done one sin committed himself. Jesus isn't just some guy. He's not just me or you. He's not just some human. He is completely empowered with the ability to, to cast out demons, turn away satan to turn away demons to heal in situations where people had never seen before jesus is the only person who could forgive us for everything like romans 5 verse 6 you see just at the right time when we were still powerless christ died for the ungodly we're dead in our sins and while that's happening while that's still a situation jesus died for us all jesus gave up his life gave up so much for us all. There's nothing we can do completely powerless. What does that mean? I am completely going crazy now. We're complete, we were complete slaves to the life that we live. We were completely powerless in that situation. We, str- we see how strict everything is throughout the Bible. Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, everything we see is there these people that are needing to sacrifice every day to try to stay right. They're living in a world when their sins aren't fully forgiven. Jesus prays and he is, he is so tired. He is sweating blood. He is in a complete agony. And an angel comes down and strengthens him, empowers him, gives him the ability to continue to go through with it. Earthly power wasn't going to get him through all of this. Even if he was the Son of God, he needed a bit more from. descended from heaven on high like a guardian angel like it's almost it's almost written like in this time it would give him the power to continue with God's plan like we're 100% human all of us here 100% human like Jesus had that 100% human he had 100% God 100% of the time he still needed that bit of help none of nothing can compare to what Jesus does on the cross and does in this week leading up to it and does in the 32 years of his life. See, Jesus knows. Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to experience our pain. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew what the situation entangles. J- Jesus knew where he would have to go, what he'd have to go through, what suffering he'd have to face. To, but he knew that he needed to continue God's plan if it is your will and the disciples aren't disciples aren't jesus i'm not jesus you're not jesus none of us are jesus um other than jesus himself and the disciples they fall into the human thing the temptation of sleep like don't know about you but i've done that a lot over the last few weeks don't tell my teachers that but going back into college means that i'm not going to be able to fall asleep in front of my laptop anymore it's a really sad thing um which so many of us have probably done over lockdown it shows that the humanity that they faced it shows the fact that jesus was complete probably completely tired as well completely shattered from the amount of praying that they've done and jesus is still awake he's still praying he's still praying earnestly but the disciples have fallen into temptation like jesus shows humanity through the fact that he said he wasn't strong enough to pray fully awake on his own for the whole time He is empowered. We need to pray to be able to continue with the power of Christ. Like, just, he is there praying, bargaining for his life. The most humane pray you could possibly imagine. And he is shattered in agony, going through grief, pain, everything. And he is still Focusing his eyes on his father in heaven, on God. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3 shows Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The person that we are completely in, in reverence of because of the power that he demonstrated. The person that we are following, running, up, running the race of perseverance like him. Always turning, trying to turn our eyes to God. And if we are doing that, then that's great. I really encourage you to keep on doing that. Quite a lot of what we face in this world is pulling us back. But I want to encourage you that you are emboldened with the spirit. We live in a world where we are not condemned for who we are. Although in the world we do face people telling us that, you know, what you believe is false. The things that we're going through aren't true. But if we're continuing to go with the power of Jesus, you are continuing to do an amazing job. And you are all amazing people. And you're all doing such a brilliant, brilliant example for so many others like around you. You're being light. You're being salt of the earth, just without even thinking sometimes. And it's a brilliant thing to do. And I just want to really encourage you to keep on doing that. Even if you don't feel like you're doing it, coming to things like this, just showing up is just a brilliant, brilliant encouragement to the people around us. To the people that you talk to through the week, to the people that you daily might get on a bus and sit near, and they might see you thinking about something, and they might ask you, "What are you thinking?" Man? You might just respond, "Jesus." And like, you're like we continue to empower each other by being here. Our greatest fear is not that we're inadequate, but it is that we're powerful beyond belief. Us playing our small life isn't empowering others, but as we continue to shine our life, it's unconsciously. Gives others the ability to do the same. Timo Cruz, what a great guy from um, from the amazing film Coach Carter. It's a great quote, and I love using it. And like he's just so brilliant because subconsciously, just shining our own light gives other people the opportunity to do it themselves. Now moving on to Jesus being arrested, we've seen that Judas has agreed to betray Jesus, has agreed to betray everything that uh, Jesus is doing in. Loving him and calling him to be one of the disciples. And now we're looking at Judas coming to bring the Roman soldiers to come and arrest him. Chief priest, teacher of the law, battalion with swords and clubs, including soldiers and officials of the Jews to give him up with a kiss. Betraying him with a statement of love, with a statement of this is like, I don't know about you, but I don't just go around kissing random people on the daily. It's not a situation I regularly find myself in. Jesus is giving Jesus up. Giving him up with a complete loving action. Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus sees him and is like, are you coming to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? A signal of love sending Jesus to the grave. But Jesus', Jesus Jesus's grave is a signal of love to everybody now. The sign of the cross used to be a sign of torture but now so many of us might wear one around our necks. You can't see it because I'm sitting so far away so there's probably no reason that I've taken it on my jumper. But like So many people now wear it as a statement of their love, of the love that was exhibited on the cross. There's so much love in this story, even where we are looking for it in such a crazy way. Jesus being given up to his death. Love. Jesus, in the moment of this intense emotion, is surrounded by the 12 people he trusted most. And Simon Peter, with probably the most precise slashing movement ever, takes off an ear like imagine how accurate you have to be to just cleanly slice off just the ear like vincent van Gogh is he's jealous is so this person condemning jesus to death jesus forgives and jesus heals and that's what he does so many times in every every time every situation jesus chooses love the person who loses an ear malchus is his name We don't hear anything about him. We don't see anything about him. Just like we don't see anything about Barabbas in a few weeks. But these people, they experience Jesus' love in such a crazy way. But we don't see what happens after that. Does he turn his life to Jesus after the healing that he experiences? Does he end up decommitting from what he was so believing in and in going to find Jesus and going to condemn him to death? Even with the slice of an ear, Jesus still turns that into love. Even with the misdeeds of somebody who he was so close to, somebody who loved him, even the misdeeds of that, he managed to turn that around. It's the main focus of everything that Jesus does. Love is the focus that takes Jesus to the cross. It's the, see, the whole Easter week is described as the passion. For the passion laid before him, he endured the cross, scoring his shame. Sorry, That's Hebrews 12, verse 2. He chooses love at every situation. Here Jesus forgives and heals people that are most likely not going to accept him for, for the son of God. But he still chooses to forgive. He still chooses to love. That's what we're called to do. We're called to reciprocate that. We are forgiven for so much and we aren't, we aren't called to cause pain. We aren't called to cause grief, cause harm, but we're called to love. In my opinion, it's probably one of the biggest issues with the modern Western, day, Western church. Instead of loving people, we're trying to tell them that if you don't do this, then you're going to die. And like, like it, we're t- trying to tell them so much about what Jesus' teachings are with the void while avoiding Jesus' teachings. See, if we're trying to show, to show people how to be a Christian through intimidation, that's not going to work. Because you're telling them if you don't believe in Jesus, right, you're going to die and then die forever. Like that's not what Jesus shows to us. He shows us forgiveness. He shows us love. He shows us, this is how you should live. Make disciples of all nations, fish for men. Like, we are meant to love. We are called to love above everything else. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Like, we don't tell people it's a Christian because you get all of this stuff. Christianity is very much, it is just a relationship between you and God. By loving somebody, by showing people that love that God has shown to us, we can be a witness to God. Jesus rectified what was done wrong by, by his follower and what Peter does chopping his that ear off. It's, if that could happen so many times in what we see in the world, then that would just be that would be so perfect, but we don't live in a perfect world. Jesus takes this situation where somebody causes him pain on the part of Malchus, um, and he heals him, and he takes that pain and turns it around, and he's doing this even 2,000 years later. And he will continue to be doing that 2,000 years on down the line. He will take situations of pain for people and he will bring his light into them, bring his love into them, bring his promise into them. Like, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love casts out all fear. Psalm 23. For we are convinced that neither angels nor demons, the present or the future, not anything in our all creation, will be able to separate us that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8. See, all of this is showing that Jesus' love is what lights up this situation. Nothing's going to be able to separate us from it, as we see in Romans 8. Even when we are in the deepest valley, even when we are at the highest peak, Jesus' love is still there. Jesus' love goes beyond all boundaries, goes beyond anything in creation. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God's always there. God's always listening. God's always there for that, for that quick chat um talk to god he's the only one who listens even when you think he is not even great good people are great at making bad decisions um that's a lyric from uh, nf an absolute amazing musician uh, i love him uh almost as much as governor b i'll create a tier list someday it's okay in my favorite people oh, right get get on with it uh one thessalonians five sixteen to 18 uh Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Even in this time of pain, Jesus forgave. Even in this time with so much in him, it was probably like, just take me out of this situation. I'm done with this. He chose to forgive. He saw where this was going. He saw everything within it. He saw the love that was in this situation, and he brought it into it. And we'll see this in a couple of weeks with Barabbas. Uh, I've spoken about him before, and how we are so much like him. It's now to verse fifty-three that this is the hour that darkness reigns in in the Bible. This is the time where Jesus was handed to the forces of hell, when the worst was allowed to happen to him. It was the time that was that God gave over His Son to darkness. This is the turning point. This is the situation where if Satan can do his, du- do his work to such a mad extent, he could completely wreck this. He could take this situation and he could turn the Bible on its head. This is endgame when Thanos has the five infinity stones on his glove right towards the end before Tony Stark comes in. This is the moment, if you're a Manchester City fan, this would be the moment in the 2012 Premier League where they're 2-1 down. And then Xeco and Aguero scores in that mad moment. This is the moment where Golden State Warriors are 3-1 up in the 2016 finals. Only for it to go completely on its head. Darkness is at its peak. It's a situation where this is it. This is, the, this is the moment where they think it's all over. I'm about to flip that whole famous quote of they think it's all over it is now because the tomb's empty, the stone's rolled away, Christ is risen, and he is interceding for every single one of us. Darkness had its chance, but Jesus, the son of God, is reigning supreme. God, uh, God is continuing to show that he is on top of this, planned out since the beginning of time. Romans 8 uh 37 to 39 neither angels nor demons present or the future nothing in all creation will be able to hold him back from his destiny planned out all the way back in genesis three fifteen. satan struck his heel he was given his chance but then jesus crushes his head conquering the grave crossing the divide lost in our sin making us alive when everything was turned around and everything was looking like it was about to go Completely dangerous. If you were reading this like a storybook cover to cover, and this is the moment where you're like, the hero's fallen. This is the moment where you're like, they've lost, they've been beaten. But Jesus reigns supreme. Time after time, God wins and we win with him. Daniel's friends in the fire, David all the way back, even after everything that he went through, God was still stuck by him. Paul killed so many people, but then the scales came over his eyes, and then he turned to Jesus, creating a new church. So much happens because God continues to win, and we win with him, even in the time where the situation is at its lowest. God is ready to turn that around, ready to win. So Jesus, the one and only perfect son of God, 100% man, 100% God, 100% of the time. His humanity, his humanity reigns, his love reigns, he reigns over it all. I think that is all I have to say for tonight.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that, Josh. That was great. Um, so we're going to go have to break around in a few minutes, but I just want to talk on something, just just for one or two minutes of your time about why this is so important, about why this event and what happens in the next few days is so critical, so absolutely critical to the hope that we can have in the future. You see, it can be so easy to lose hope. It can be so easy to think of hope as something that's fleeting, something that is just there, but not really there. But you see, we have hope in a secure salvation. And this is because of what Jesus did. And the reason why Jesus had to do what he did is because we are all sinners, because we have all sinned. You see, Zechariah, in chapter three of his book, talks about the the high priest at the time in about 500 B.C., 450. And he draws this parallel that our greatest deeds, if you take a moment and you think, what is the best, what is the most holy and upstanding, what is the most amazing thing that you have ever done, that cannot earn us salvation. You see, in his book, Zechariah compares even our greatest deeds, how in God's sight, they are absolutely abhorrent, that they are like filthy rags. You see, that's why Is so important because, you see, the process of justification being covered in the righteousness of Jesus. You see, someone once said, you know, justification is like it's like we've never sinned. It, It makes us like we've never sinned. But that doesn't do it justice. You see, justification is the truth that we have all sinned abysmally and abhorrently. It's the truth that we have deliberately chosen to go against the will of God. It's the truth that despite all the revelation that we have received of him we have still turned our backs on him it's that truth but still despite all that the perfect son of god died in our place and it's because of that that we are covered in his righteousness this idea of being covered in jesus's righteousness is such a beautiful image because you see when we accept jesus when we repent of our sins When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our brokenness. He looks at us and he sees the righteousness of his perfect son. That's why this is so important, because Jesus did what we could never hope to do. Um, And that's that's why it's so critical.